We live in a world, I'm sure you recognize this and realize it as much as I do, we live in a world of excessive communication and information. Communications are at an all-time high than at any point in the history of of the world. Uh, Cell phones and computers and um, just video feeds all over the world. Uh, There's not much that happens that we don't see almost instantly or hear about uh, almost instantly. Remember back uh, quite a few years ago now when cell phones first became popular, I remember when we were in Israel and the, uh, it was proclaimed that the land of Israel had more cell phones per capita than any other country of the world and that was back, um, back many, many years ago. A cell phone, of course, is so prevalent, and people are talking uh, on the phone all the time that many of our states, including uh, this state, has passed laws uh, that you cannot talk on a cell phone while you're driving. And someone said, well, you need a Bluetooth. I like my teeth just the way they are, thank you, so <laughs> I don't want to get a Bluetooth for anything. But that's, what we, that's the world that we live in. Um, with computer interaction, social media uh, just bombarding us, um, Dick Tracy tele- uh, watches. It's amazing to see these things going on. Uh, and it seems that as good as all these systems do, the good, and there's a lot of good that's done, it's overshadowed by the evil that's prevalent through them. Kids today can look at things on their cell phone that they had to go to an adult bookstore to get not many years ago. I said, well, that's not happening. <laughs> it's happening more than ever. Uh, that, that type of information is being broadcast. And, of course, we're talking about satanic power now. So the devil is using those things to work. Uh, I often wonder, don't you, uh, as I pass people driving, and occasionally someone will call me on the phone, but I often wonder, who did these people talk to before this? Remember when you had to stop at something called the telephone booth? For those of you who don't know, it was a telephone in a, a little box, and you had to go in and insert a quarter and uh, talk to someone. Well, as much communication as there is in the world. For the Christian, God has given us some specific instructions concerning our communication. I want to talk about that just for a little bit this morning, and then give an Old Testament example of that, if I could. First of all, I'm just going to read these passages to you. You know them very well. This is instruction from God's Word. He says in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying Don't let any corrupt communications proceed. He says in Ephesians 5 and verse 4, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not fitting for the Christian. Colossians 3 and verse 8, Put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. In James chapter 5, James says this, I love this analogy. He says, The tongue is a little member... And it boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. God warning about our speech, our communication. And of course, for unsaved people, the, 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 the communication is exactly the same. I'm sure that you've heard them, have you not? I, I've heard them more than ever. It's, 
it's a little bit unsettling to me. Uh, God bless you and God bless the United States of America. Have you ever heard a politician say that? And others, actually. And then when you try to think it through, those are good words. We like those words. They're what's called them positive words. However, what God are they talking about? Is it the Islam God? Is it the deity of wealth? All the time, these people present that and they're pro-abortion. What God are they talking about? I do not know that. I do not know. But they're words, and they came out of their mouth, and they're good words, and they sound good, but are they, in fact, true words from the heart? Well, I want to look, if we can, um, at a few passages of Scripture uh, and just look at, uh, in my study of the book of Daniel, I've been doing that on Monday evenings uh, for Monday Evening School of the Bible, I, I faced a paradox, a, a man, and you know him as the first Gentile king to conquer the known world. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 for a moment, please. Daniel chapter 1, the Old Testament book of Daniel. It's so interesting. Uh, God allowed the nation of Israel to be taken, the southern tribes, the two southern tribes, to be taken in captivity. And you can uh, see that in verses 1 and 2. But remember, the kingdom was divided uh, under uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, uh, Rehoboam being uh, uh, Solomon's son, the kingdom was divided. And the ten tribes to the north were taken into Assyrian captivity, and the two tribes in the south remained for a while, and then before too long they also fell into sinfulness. And Jeremiah's great warnings in the book of Jeremiah went unheeded, and the nation was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. But let's look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he had carried into the land of Shinar, Babylon, to the house of his God, and that would be the god Merduk, and uh, brought the vessels into the treasure of the house of his God. So we see the southern tribe was, fell into captivity, of which they never recovered to this very day. Uh, the land of Israel has been uh, far from God in, in many, many, many ways, if not always. But recognize that God allowed this to happen as part of judgment. Now, in that, God was going to establish four Gentile kingdoms to rule the known world. We saw this in our study on Monday nights in Daniel. By the way, in March, we're going to pick it back up for a couple of weeks, but we saw this together uh, in our study of Daniel, and God had a purpose in this, and he was going to bring in the four Gentile nations to rule the known world, and the last one would be the Antichrist, of which uh, we recognize the times are growing short. But what I'm interested in pri uh, primar primarily is this, that Nebuchadnezzar now is on the throne. He's the greatest king in all the world, and God has a Hebrew there named Daniel. He has four men, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Belteshazzar, who was Daniel. But uh, he has these men there, and Daniel particularly, uh, God has blessed him, and God has given him a gift of revelation. And that Daniel... Uh, is able to see, and God gives him wisdom, and then God gives him 
direct information through angelic beings of what the future is. And King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and we won't look into this in any way. I'm just interested in the specifics of it. He has a dream, and he sees a giant image, but he can't remember the dream. He can't remember the image. He can't remember anything. And uh, of all the, uh, the wise men in Babylon, all the soothsayers, uh, all part of the Babylonian Empire, they can't, they can't know anything. They don't have any idea what the king dreamt or the interpretation of it. But God calls Daniel specifically into this uh, arena, and Daniel lets the king know that he uh, has been given the interpretation of the dream. Uh, turn with me to Daniel chapter 2 and verse 28. Daniel 2, 28. Now, we're just going to skip down through this, so please uh, follow along. But there is a God in heaven. Daniel is talking to the king, a young Hebrew man talking to the king of the world. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the last days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. So Daniel lets Nebuchadnezzar know about this great dream. And you know what's so interesting about this is uh, the king recognizes that he is going to be the God of all heaven. He's going to be the, he's going to be the God of all the earth, rather, uh, and the king of all the earth, and therefore he made himself this petty god. He was making himself a petty god standing before um, the world as, as he is, as he declared himself to be. Notice verse 36 of Daniel 2. This is the dream, and we will tell its interpretation before the king. Thou, O king, are a god of God, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath, hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. This is so interesting. Daniel always reminds, yes, you're the greatest power on the face of the earth, but the God of heaven has given you that. He continually reminds him, Yahweh, the, the unspeakable name of God, God has given you that position and that power. And of course, then Daniel reveals the entire secret. Uh, God controls all the kingdoms of, of the earth, and essentially he's saying, and he controls you as well. Now, head with me, please, to Daniel chapter 2. Look at verse 46. Daniel 2 and verse 46. So Nebuchadnezzar gets all this information from Daniel, and you can just hear him, can't you? Yes, that's it. That was a dream. Oh, it's great. I'm the head of gold of this giant figure that I, I've dreamt. Verse uh, 46. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors to him. So they're going to offer up sacrifice to Daniel. Verse 47. And the king answered and said, Of a truth, this is your God. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Doesn't that sound good? Your God, he's the God of gods. He's the king of kings. He, he's, the, he's the best. He's the biggest. He's the most. Sounds good. We would call this fellow a Christian, right? Not hardly. But see, that's what people think because someone names the name of God, that he is a Christian, that he's part of, uh, you know, part of God's family. Look at verse 48. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole realm of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. So 
now Daniel has a very important position, a very interesting. Next, though, Nebuchadnezzar has a statue built, doesn't he? He has that statue built. And then he says to everyone, you kneel down before this statue, I'll kill you. Wait a minute. Didn't you just say there's a God in heaven and he's king over all, and now you want people to bow down to a statue? See? And, you know, it, oh, everyone bow down or I will kill you. And, of course, you know the story. The three uh, men, Daniel's uh, friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will not bow down. And the king, of course, says, let's make the fire ten times hotter, as if it matters. If you're going to be thrown in the fire, what matters? How do, doesn't matter if it's ten times hotter or just plain melting glass. It's going to get you anyway. Make it ten times hotter. So what happens? Well, they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in there. Why did they do that? Because they announced, they announced they're not going to, work, they're not going to bow down to this because God doesn't want them to. Look at chapter 3. Please, in verse, um, chapter 3, in verse 15. Now, if you be ready, get ready again. We're going we're gonna to sound the horns, and you guys, if you, you need to bend, up, bend down, you, you need to bow down before this image that I've made. Now, if you be ready, at the time when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, all these musical instruments, he says, all kinds of music, fall down and worship the image, which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Check this out. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Nebuchadnezzar is shaking his fist. Really? You think your God is special? Your Hebrew God? Let me tell you this. Who is able to deliver them, deliver him out of my hand? Well, wait a minute. Didn't he just say he was God of gods and king of kings? Now what's he doing? Challenging God. Very, very interesting. So what happened? Well, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego said this, verse 17, And if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, essentially one way or another, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king, uh, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast made. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar flies into a rage. His whole face and image change, and he has them thrown into the fiery furnace. You know the rest of the story. They're in the furnace. must have been a very large furnace. They, they're in the furnace, and the king looks in the door, and there's four people standing there. Four people instead of three. And, and he's just, his whole, can you imagine what that must have been like? And Nebuchadnezzar gets religious, wouldn't you? He gets very religious. And now, of course, uh, religion comes on people when they get in trouble, doesn't it? It's been said there's no atheist in a foxhole. I have experienced having done prison ministry for many years that a lot of those men in prison, all of a sudden they start getting very religious when the door slams. Very difficult on them, I'm sure. And we've had opportunity to minister to some of those guys. But 
when a tragedy enters a life, when a man gets a diagnosis that's terrible, they start, they become religious, and that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. All of a sudden, he gets, quote, religion, unquote. And what happens? Well, he, he, he gets a, a, a decree. He dumps out this decree upon the whole world. Notice, if you would, in chapter 3 and verse 20. Let's pack up to 28, he says. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angels and delivered his servants who trusted in him and has changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any other god. Therefore, I make a decree. And you can read the decree in uh, the end of that chapter, in chapter 4. It sounds wonderful. It sounds wonderful. This guy surely now has believe the living God, and we're going to sit at the table with Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Only problem is, he changes his mind a little later on. Remember, God said he was the one that was going to, um, to give him his power, and God is going to do the work. Daniel prophesied that. Nebuchadnezzar saw proof of that. Now he sees proof of, of these men in the fiery furnace. He sees the fourth one, like unto the Son of God, an angelic being, or, or maybe even the reference there is to God himself. We do not know that, but recognizes a great decree. Trouble is, uh, Daniel has another, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has another vision, and he calls for Daniel again because this vision is just beyond him. He sees this great giant tree and branches and and you can read that on your own. And uh, Daniel lets uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, know that, listen, this, sir, pertains to you. This is all specifically about you. And that you have not obeyed God at all. God has warned you and you have not obeyed, uh, you have not obeyed God at all. And you can see that in verses, chapter 4 and verses 19 and following. So this whole vision is about you, sir, that God wants you to yield yourself to him. So time goes by now. We don't know exactly how much time, perhaps months, maybe even a year. It could have been even sooner than that. But Nebuchadnezzar now, and we're in chapter 4 and verse 28, chapter, Daniel 4, 28. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. So the vision was there, and it all came upon him, picking up in verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. This is Nebuchadnezzar walking. And the king spoke and said, Is this not great Babylon that I have built? See? For the house of my kingdom, and by the might of my power, and for my honor, and for my majesty. Wait a minute. Didn't you just say and make a decree to all the nations that you have conquered of the world how God is a God of gods? He's the king of kings. He's the one in power. He's the one with power and might. He does what he wants on earth. Didn't you just say that? Well, how come you're saying, no, I did it all. It's me. I'm the one. I'm in charge. It's interesting. Back up to chapter 4 and verse 8. But at the last, Daniel came before me, meaning Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 4 and verse 8. But at the last, Daniel came before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. 
and to whom I told the dream. See, Nebuchadnezzar made a great proclamation that uh, God, the God of Jehovah, the God Yahweh, he's the God of all gods. But in his heart, he believed there were other deities, and he also believed that he perhaps was one of them, building himself up as, as a great deity. Well, he, of course, is brought low by the living God, and he's, he's, he's out in the forest like an animal, just out there, just among the animals, grass. It says his nails grew. It's hard to picture this all being allowed to happen, uh, but at any rate, he now makes another proclamation. So just thinking through that for a moment, I think he's a good example of what the scriptures point out, he's a good example for, let's say, a bad example. Can we say that? Was he a believer? Will we see this man in heaven? Well, I'm not really sure. I really don't know. I hope so. I mean, I don't want anyone to go to hell, but I'm not exactly sure whether we'll see this man in heaven. Why? Because he said, and he did not. He said, and he did not. And I'm, I'm concerned that in this day of media, in this day of loose Christianity, that there's a lot of people saying, but there's nothing behind it. And that you can communicate a lot, or you can go on and send out stuff all over the world if you want, saying how Christian you are, or how Christian your family is, or how Christian things you've done, but... If there's something contrary behind that, are you really Christian? And that becomes frightening, does it not? It does to me at least. Because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I want to serve the king till I die. I, want that, I just want to serve the king till I breathe my last breath in one way or another at different capacities, but I want to serve him. So it kind of shakes me a little bit that uh, so many people that you hear are saying so much and yet doing so little to serve the king. So let's look at some passages, if we could, together. Uh, first of all, head with me to Romans chapter 15, a very well-known passage to you. But in Romans chapter 15, we read this. We're in Romans chapter 15. Let's look just for a quick moment at verses 1 through 4. Paul speaking to the church at Rome, of course. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good unto edification, for even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. So God's talking about getting out of yourself. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Is this not great Babylon which I have done? And, you know, is this not the great statue which I have put up? And what kind of God? What was Nebuchadnezzar doing? He's pleasing his own flesh, that's all. Just pleasing his own ego, his own uh, thoughts. And yet God tells us something different. Now, notice in verse 4, please. For whatever things were written in earlier times were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. So this Old Testament example that was given to us, um, that we, for something that we need to learn about, and what do we need to learn about? Well, we need to learn that words do not matter unless the life 
lines up with them. They don't matter. You can say a lot of things, but are you really? Remember the nation of Israel when they went up onto the when Moses went up onto the mountain and uh, he came down and the people were frightened to death. I would have been. The mountain quaked and fire and Moses was up there for a long time and finally Moses comes down and he says, here's what God wants you to do. And he says, come closer. Here's, no, no. You go and see God for us, thank you, sir. And we'll stay back here. And whatever he says, we'll do. And Moses brings the word to the Lord. Lord, in case you didn't hear, they're shook up. And what they're saying is, whatever you say, we'll do. He said, I've heard the words that they've said. Well spoken is everything that they said. Then he says this. Oh, that there was such a heart in them. They talked a lot. Oh, they said lots of stuff. But there's no heart there. And I don't need to tell you, God knows the heart. God knows the heart. So no matter what people might say, he knows the heart behind it. Turn with me to Mark, please. Mark. What's really behind what people say? Well, you know, of course, uh, from this passage of Mark in Mark chapter 7. Look at verse 6 with me, please. Mark chapter 7. And we'll start right in verse 6. The Lord's talking to his Jewish disciples here, and the Jews, of course, are present all around him. Verse 6, And he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah the prophet uh, prophesied of you, you hypocrites. As it is written, The people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. However, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold your traditions of men, as in the washing of pots and cups and many other such things. And you, and you say unto them, full well you reject the commandments of God, that you may keep your own traditions. So are people really, are they committed to the living God? Are they keeping their own traditions? Are they... Are they doing that which they feel to be religious, and this must somehow please God? Turn with me to Luke chapter 6 for a moment. Luke chapter 6. We live in a day of words. They lived in a day of words in their day, too. But remember our response of reading. In the day of judgment, we'll give account for every idle word that we've spoken. Now, for the believer, confessing that, it's, it's under the blood of Christ. It's, but for, for an unsaved person... Uh, their words, their confusing words, their alluring words, the words of turning people, if you would, those words they're going to hear again, apparently, when they get before him. Luke chapter 6 and verse uh, 43. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage, but I just want to remind you of this, as I, I need to remind myself as well, verse 46. The Lord Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. You see, they're, they're saying something, and it sounds good. Lord, Lord. He said, but wait a minute. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my words, heareth my sayings, rather, and doeth them not, I will show you whom he is like. And then he goes on, of course, to talk about the person that built a foundation in a levee. A wadi. And you know what happened when the waters come down from the heights of Jerusalem? They wash that foundation right away. So someone who's just saying things, they're just saying things, and there's no heart behind it. There's no, uh, 
there's no truth, there's no confession of, of, of Christ. There's, there's nothing that follows, as we would say, no fruit in their life. Are they really Christians? I, I don't know, honestly. I don't, I don't know. I can't say because I'm not the sovereign judge. But I just want people who say things and don't do anything to question themselves. Can you imagine, can you imagine wake, closing your eyes for the last time on this earth and opening them up in hell? Because it was just words. You say, well, why are you sending us on a guilt trip? Maybe we need a trip. Maybe we need a trip. Maybe we need to think about that a little bit. Why? Because this is life and death. This is hell and heaven. The words. There's a lot of words out there. We, we see them. We hear them all the time. We, we, we understand that. A lot of communication. But really important stuff. Nancy and I were watching the news this morning. Patriots, Patriots, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. By the way, a train wreck down in South Carolina. Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Much speaking about what? Nothing. Wood, hay, and stubble. God forbid that that should get into the church, that that should be part of the body of Christ. Now, what happens? Well, of course, the Lord knows the heart. Let's look, if we would, to James. James chapter 2, very well-known passage to us. But in James chapter 2, James kind of puts, uh, Vernon McGee used to say, he puts the rubber to the road here in James chapter uh, 2. And you're familiar with this. We won't read down through the whole thing. But there were, there were people who were proclaiming Christ. Remember, James is the first of the New Testament books written, and he's writing to the Jews that believe. He was the first, we'd call him the first pastor at the Jerusalem Council, uh, the Lord's half-brother here. But let's look, if we could, please, at James chapter 2, picking up right in uh, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith? And he doesn't have works. See, he said something. They're words, Nebuchadnezzar. Is this not God, the God who answered prayer, the God who gave Daniel the vision? He's God of gods and king of kings. And you can picture people saying that. Are you a Christian? Well, yes, I am, sir. I'm a Christian. Why, I believe in Christ. Yeah, but what you say and what you do don't line up. It just doesn't line up. You say you're a Christian. Now, now maybe you are, and I, and I hope that you are, and praise the Lord. If you are, that would be wonderful. However, however, there's supposed to be a lining up with the lips. When you say something, there's supposed to be something that follows that, something behind that. We would call it, again, a fruit. And James says, can that faith save him? I'm reading from a King James Bible, in case you're wondering here. Can that faith, essentially... Can that profession of faith, is that the faith that saves? Because he says he believes God. And it's so interesting, he says, uh, pick it up in verse 19. Uh, you believe there is one God, you do well. But remember, all, the demons also believe and tremble. Just because you say something does not necessarily mean it's truth. Why? Because demo- demons believe there's a God. So just because you believe there's one God doesn't mean that's going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean that at all. So what does he say? Well, he says there needs to be following your faith. There needs to be a life expectant. Um, I raised chickens for a while. 
I love chickens, and I hate them at the same time. But I raised chickens for a while, and we had some eggs that hatched. You know what I expected to come out of those eggs? Not dogs. Not even cats. I would have got rid of them right away. But, you know, not, not dogs or cats. What's supposed to come out of that egg is a chicken. I expect it, don't I? Well, when, when a Christian says something, what's supposed to come out of their life is Christ-likeness. Supposed, it's supposed to be there. What, am I okay here? Am I all right so far? Just shake your head up and down. Okay. There's supposed to be a result in action when it comes out of the lips. There's supposed to be something there that is supposed to exhibit the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Matthew for a minute, Matthew chapter 7. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not talking about salvation by works. Not at all. Make that, you cannot be saved. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. You cannot be saved by doing good things. We're not talking about a salvation by works, but we're talking about a salvation that works. There's evidence. There's something behind it. It's not just words. Why? Because we live in a day of many words. But by thy words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you could be condemned because there was no fruit, nothing behind it, nothing to follow it. When Matthew chapter 7, this is one of the most frightening passages in the scriptures. Of course, the Lord Jesus is talking to his Jewish disciples here, but we're in Matthew chapter 7. Let's pick it right up in verse 21. He was talking about the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, false teachers. But then he says this in verse 21, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many shall say unto me in that day, which what day? The judgment day. Many shall say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out demons in thy name and done many wonderful works? You know what's interesting? He never says, he never ever says, no, you didn't. He doesn't say, no, you didn't do any works. He doesn't say, no, you didn't cast out demons. No, you didn't speak in my name. He never says that. But what he says this is this. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. See, they said they knew him, and they did religious things, but there was no heart behind them. There was nothing there, no fruit. They had external evidence that they did things that impressed people. Uh, remember the Lord Jesus spoke about that, didn't he? He said, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. They, they think through their many words they'll be heard. That's, those are hypocrites. When you pray, get right to the meat of the matter. And he told them that, our Father who art in heaven, talking about the living God, who he is and his purposes, believing on the, the, the word of God. We're not talking about salvation by works, but it's a salvation that responds to the confession of faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then what happened? Well, that guy was baptized. His family was baptized. Also believed and was baptized after that. Uh, there, there was a, a result in action. He cleaned Paul's wounds. 
uh, he, he was a testimony there in that uh, area of Philippi. So there's an action behind it. Not, they weren't just uh, simply words. Head with me to the, uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. God tells us as New Testament Christians not to get caught up in, in, in things that don't edify the, the system of the world. Lots of words going on, lots of people saying a lot of things, but he wants us to let our words be few. That interesting? Let your words be few. Head with me to Hebrews, if you would, chapter 5, and in verse 9, Hebrews 5, 9, talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, verses 5 and following. Verse 8, he said, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. God brought him through uh, amazingly amazing things. Just in that three and a half year period of time where Satan tested him, the entire time God worked in him and through him. And his knowing all things went to the cross for us. Verse 9, and talking about Christ, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. See, there's more to it than just saying. There's more to it than just words, isn't there? There's a life that's supposed to come out of the lips. It's supposed to follow the lips. I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What do, you, what, what, what do you want me to do, Lord? And we don't serve him uh, to, to look for a reward. We serve him because he, he is our reward. He's the one that we need to look to. He's the one, our source. Every day we need to look to him, Lord, today's another day I need to come before you and, and ask for your direction and your guidance through what? Through the word of God. There are Christians, there are people who say they're Christians and they're not interested in the Bible at all. How can that be? How can it be? I, I do not understand it. You say, well, you have no right judging them. I'm not. <laughs> Believe me, I'm not. But they're going to someday stand before the Lord. Isn't it right to kind of question? Isn't it right to kind of warn them a little bit? Listen, sir, madam, you say this, and yet there's, there's nothing. We're not talking about how bright the flame is. We're talking about is there a flame at all? Is there a flame at all? Okay, one last passage together, if we could. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Righteousness, in Philippians chapter 3, righteousness is apart from works. I work because I'm righteous. I don't work to get righteous. We're in Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 7, and we'll close with this, please. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. You're very familiar with this. Paul had everything. He was a United States senator plus 10 as far as uh, uh, his position as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, when he was uh, a special envoy to the Pharisees, directly responsible to the president of, of the council there in, uh, in Jerusalem. Pick it up in verse 7. He says, when he, when he met the Lord Jesus Christ and believed on him, 
But what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss, for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I counted all things for loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them, but refuse, excrement, a dung heap. For what? That I might win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law or by good works, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So when we're looking through the scripture passages, we need to remember very clearly, you're not saved by doing good things. You're saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and believing that he died on Calvary's cross in your place for your sin and professing him as Lord, believing he paid that price. But we also need to recognize that after you do that, there ought to be, he says, now follow me. Serving him in some capacity, some way. Being a testimony for him before an unsaved and dying world. Not mixing in the world necessarily, but being in it, but not of it. Setting your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we recognize very clearly that your word says we are not saved by works of righteousness which we have done. We fear, Lord, one day many will stand before you as you have said and you'll say, depart from me, you are a worker of iniquity. So, Father, help us not to be fooled by what people say, but help us to recognize, Lord, what you say. Help us to be among those who want to serve you, who want to uh, give our life over to you as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Lord, we realize that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So, Father, give us your wisdom, give us your heart, give us your mind, that we might serve you more perfectly. Help us, Father, to get into the word of God and not to be caught up with social media, with, with looking at a cell phone every two minutes instead of looking at your word. Help us, Father, to get away, push ourselves away from a computer and look at our Bibles, or at least to bring the Bible up on the computer. Father, help us not to get caught up with the, the things of the world, but rather with the things of Christ. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We pray uh, your, your comfort and your grace and your wisdom to us this week. And that we pray, Father, you might open a door for us, one of us, many of us, to talk about our Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.